I do want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 34, Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34 today. I do want to say, uh, I meant to say it earlier, but I do want to say a word of welcome to our new associate pastor, Jeremy Roten. It's his first Sunday with us. His family will be transitioning up as they sort through the house situation and all that, but it's great to have you, Jeremy. Uh, It's a delight to have you here with us. Looking forward to how you're going to be able to serve alongside of us here for the sake of the gospel and for the making of disciples. And it's a great joy to have you with us today. Thank you for being here. Luke chapter 12. I want to read beginning in verse 22 down to verse 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are able, or if then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." Let's pray together. Father, we ask for the presence and help of your Holy Spirit as we open your word. Father, instruct us today. Help our hearts to be impacted and affected and transformed by your word. Father, that we would leave here different than when we came, that we would hear from you today, and that God, by your grace, empowered by your Spirit, that we would be fed and helped. So, Lord, we ask now that you would lead us as we consider your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How much is enough? When you think about the things that you have, how much is enough? Think about possessions, your resources, your education, your bank account. How much is enough? It's a question that we would do well to ask. All of us would do well to ask ourselves often when it comes to these things, when it comes to our money, our possessions, the earthly goods that we enjoy. How much is enough? It's an important question to ask because how we answer it will be important, and it will reveal some important truths about our own hearts. 
You know, a trip to the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, a trip to the Ten Commandments is often not a pleasant trip, is it? You know, oftentimes we like to pop up the Ten Commandments in our yards and in various places as if that's the thing that's going to to bring hope to this world. In fact, it brings condemnation because when you consider the Ten Commandments, we are lawbreakers, aren't we? But when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first nine commandments really are, I guess could be in somewhat somewhat measurable externally. You can see when someone is an idolater. You can see, so to speak, an external adulterer or a murderer or someone who's stealing. Verse 9 commandments, dealing, honoring father and mother. You can see when someone is doing that or when they're not doing that, can't you? But when you think about the 10th commandment, we should not covet you shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Coveting is not something that is so easily seen, is it? It's oftentimes down in the depths of our hearts. We are yearning for something. If we could just have that, we would be so happy. It's not always visible. In fact, it's often not visible. Coveting is, is connected to many things because I think here in the text you see how it's connected to anxiety or worry. And both these things, coveting and anxiety or worry, are enemies of generosity. We've been walking through this series, we're being called to live generously. These are enemies to generosity. When we covet, Our priorities and our values are out of whack. Reveals that God's kingdom and his purposes are not our priority. And then when we covet, the more that we covet, the more that we get, the more that we worry. Because we need more and the more anxiety that happens. And then we see how we grow more and more dependent upon those things. My premise this morning is, a proposition, I guess, is pretty simple. From this passage, I want us to see this. If we are going to be generous, we must fight against covetousness and worry. I want to walk through this passage to see how that unfolds for us today. Because I think Jesus gives us some very important information here and instruction here as we think about our own hearts when it comes to being generous people, you get to the generosity at the end, but we need to work through this until we get to the generosity at the end to see how it is that someone is able to be generous like we see towards the end of this passage. So I want us to look at two key things that we would do well to remember, to be instructed by this morning as we think about our lives, as we think about being those that God has redeemed and God has equipped and God has gifted and God has given to serve others for his glory and for their good, even as we seek to be generous. Two points that we want to make today in light of that. If we're going to be generous, we have to fight against covetousness. How do we do that? How do we do that? Two key things. Number one, we, we need to acknowledge and remember that, that God's providential care is a promise. Remember, if you're going to be generous, you need to remember that he is going to provide for you. His providential care is a promise. You see that really 
unpacked for us in verses 22 through 31. But in the section just prior to this, Jesus had shared a parable about a rich fool who squandered all the wealth on himself. In fact, he had no eyes of of seeing the wealth that he had as a means to bless others. And as a result, if you go back in verses 13 through 21, you see um, that that God tells him, he he calls him, he, he says, fool, verse 20, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? This is a person that has basically built storehouses and barns and just accumulated things for himself and felt some kind of contentment and enjoyment from the things he had collected and, and God calls him a fool. To which Jesus concludes in verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. One who lays up treasure for himself. You're just like this, this rich fool built up storehouses for himself. See, friends, there's an ongoing battle in each of our souls concerning who and what we will serve. Will it be the things of this world? Will it be the things of our own desires and our own self? Or will it be God and his kingdom? Jesus concludes the parable. And then he comes to this instruction to his disciples that we just read in verses 22 and following. So coming right out of that parable where he instructs uh, through that parable about the foolishness of laying up treasure for ourselves and not being rich towards God, he says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about your life life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Well, what we're seeing here is that Jesus, Jesus doesn't want his followers to be foolish. He doesn't want his followers to be like the rich fool who had barns filled with grain and goods but was of no good to anyone else. In verse 15, back in that same section, He warned, take care against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This is important for us because it's it's going to be foundational as we walk forward into the rest of this passage because we need to understand that. This is a key. that We understand that our life does not consist in the things that we have. Our possessions. Instead of trying to live a life filled with material possessions, instead of living a life that is driven by the pursuit of material possessions and earthly gain, we rather are called to trust God who will meet every need that we have. Certainly, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go to work tomorrow morning. But instead of depending upon things, we're called to depend upon God. And Jesus gives us two good arguments as to why we should do this. One is doctrinal and one is practical. He gives us a doctrinal argument and a practical argument as to why we should trust God to provide for our needs and therefore be in a position, later on in the text, to be generous. 
first argument he gives is what we could call a testimony of creation or testimony from creation. Look at verse 24. He refers to the ravens, the bird, the raven, according to Leviticus 11, verse 15, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 14. It was a bird that was considered to be unclean and among the lower ranks of living creatures, which is why you need to pick your NFL teams carefully. It wasn't a, necessarily a, a bird that was of high status. It says they neither sow nor reap, have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Even this unclean bird, God is concerned about. He feeds them. Verse 27, he refers to the lilies. They do nothing on their own, but are completely dependent upon God's provision. And the argument here Jesus uses is that if God does this for ravens, lowly creatures, and lilies, then how much more will he do it for you, those created in his image? And one of the ways that I guess I was trying to think about this is I have a dog named Jax, great little Springer Spaniel most of the time. And I care for the dog most of the time. I feed him. I let him outside to go do what dogs do outside. I make sure that he has comfortable uh, arrangements and, and provide shelter for him. And I do that for my dog. But how much more do I do that for my own children? Now some people, this is another, maybe side, another sermon for another day, you know, those that like to refer to yourself as mommy and daddy to your animals. I, that's between you and Jesus. If you can get away with that, you go right ahead. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do care for my dog. I, I like my dog. You know, I try most days not to hurt my dog when he does doggish things. But how much more would I, would I, I do the same thing for my children, but even more in, in a greater way, in a, in a much greater way. I, I care for them. I care for my dog, but even more so for my own children. This is exactly what we're seeing here that God cares for these things that are his creation. He, he thinks that they are important and cares for them, he provides for them, but even more so for those who have been made in his image. The message here is don't worry. If the ravens are provided for, you should know that you're more important, more valuable than a raven. What we see here is Jesus highlighting the, the doctrine of providence, critical truth that, that we need to, to, to push us to trust God. I mean, look at verses 28 and 29. You keep reading. If God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And here it is and your Father knows you need them. Don't fret or worry about your most basic needs because God fully knows what your needs are. He knows what you will be fed. He knows what you have to wear where you will even live. God knows these things. All of our needs are fully known by the Lord. When we find ourselves worrying, fearful, 
anxious. We're saying something, we're saying something doctrinal. Did you know that worry is an application of doctrine? Sometimes people say, well, doctrine, that's, that's really for the scholars and theologians. It, it doesn't really impact my daily life. Well, if you are a worrier, if you've ever worried, you've done something doctrinal. Because what you're doing, when you worry, is you're saying, I'm not convinced that God is big enough to have this. So your doctrine of God is in question when you begin to worry. It's important that we understand who God is, his character is, and the fact that he is sovereign over all things, that he's working through his providence. You know, we, we often show that we have mixed allegiances when we worry. When things are going well, we trust God, don't we? But when circumstances start to get questionable or we, we don't see tomorrow's provision or we're just uncertain how things are going, our, our allegiance changes because it shows then that we're trusting in those things. It's kind of like following a sports team. When, when they're doing well, we're in, right? And when they're not doing so well, we're, we're, we're changing allegiance to somebody else that will give us what we want, a winning season. Jesus is reminding us here that we can't have mixed allegiances. We need to trust God. We need to understand that he is the creator and he is the sustainer. He is the one who provides and he is the one through his providential care that will make sure his people are cared for and therefore our worry of our most basic needs should be eradicated. One person put it this way, not only can we trust God for heaven, we can trust him for earth. Amen? Not only can we trust God for heaven, we can trust him for earth. Covetousness and anxiety are twin enemies of generosity. When you only want more and more and more, and when you are worried over your own basic affairs, then the needs of other people begin to dimly fade, don't they? When you're more concerned about you, about how your needs are going to be met, and friends, we live, I feel even awkward talking about this because our needs are more than met, aren't they? Goodness gracious, we, we have more than our... I mean, you go to your closet. Go to your pantries. Let's let our trust be rooted firmly and fully in a God who sees and knows and meets our every need with a precision that can never be matched. The testimony of creation reminds us that we should trust God. It's a doctrinal argument that Jesus uses. Listen, he's he's in control. He knows your needs. He knows all things. And when you begin to question that, you're showing that you're not fully buying into a right biblical understanding of the doctrine of God. So it's a doctrinal argument he uses. But then he uses a practical argument. He just says in verses 25 and 26, what are you going to change by worry? Right? I mean, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What good does it do? I mean, have you ever looked back at a challenging time in your life? Maybe it was a financial crisis or or some kind of a relational crisis that you've gone through or whatever. You just fill in the crisis. And you've looked back now upon that and you're like, wow, I don't know how I would have gotten through that time had I not worried. And have you done that? I don't think so. I'm sure glad worry got me through. It doesn't change anything. It can't change your circumstances. And certainly Jesus is saying, well, it's, 
It's useless. It's ineffective. It's not practical. I mean, why would you want to worry about your most basic needs being met when God has said he's got your back? Again, not only is it impractical, it does say something about our view of God. Jesus refers to such people in verse 28 as those of little faith. When we worry about our circumstances, we are really expressing that we aren't so sure that God has it in, under control. Question, does that mean that we should just sit back and wait on God to drop our food and clothing to us by some kind of divine drone? I mean, I'm still waiting for the Amazon drone to come out, right? Maybe some of you will design it. Does that, I mean, is that what we're to do? Okay, pastor said what Jesus was telling us here, not to worry, God's going to take care of us, I'm checking out of work. No, it doesn't mean that. I always uses means to accomplish his end. He provides for us through the provision of employment and those kinds of things. Most certainly. It's simply just a call to trust God. Trust him. It's not a call to stop our responsibility at all. In fact, our responsibility is to trust him, and the ways that he provides for us is through an assortment of things. He doesn't just, now he did do that. He did have the divine drone with the Israelites, right? I mean, the manna from heaven. I mean, that was divine drone feeding right there. But that's not normally how he works, even though he can do that. He does work through a variety of circumstances and provision. Nor is it wrong to have things. I want you to leave here today and say, wow, I drove here today. I should have walked 14 miles to church. I feel guilty for having a car. It's not at all what we're trying to say. All we're saying is that, is that coveting those things, prioritizing those things above God is, is, is where we go wrong. When we're depending more on those things than we are God, who's provided those things, by the way, and that's where we've gone astray. Covetous, materialism, anxiety are all tied together. The more you have, the more you want, the more you have, the more overwhelmed you become, right? I mean, I remember, I tell people this all the time, I remember back to our seminary days when we lived in a little teeny tiny three-bedroom house right beside the church that I pastored, literally right beside the church. A little bitty place, we didn't have much. I was a seminary student, pastoring full-time, going to seminary. And those are some of our most simple, easy days. I look back and think, wow. But during that time, I was thinking, wow, if I could just get out of school, life would be so much simpler, not so, not so much. We need to understand that God is faithful to provide for what we need. It's useless to worry. It's, 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 it doesn't change your circumstances. You're not going to look back and be grateful for how much anxiety you had over an issue. What you're going to do if you've persevered through an issue by God's grace, you're going, to be, you're going to look back and you're going to be so thankful that God sustained you through that time. That God provided for you by his grace through his providence. That God was faithful, as he said, and that God keeps his promises. That's what you're going to look back to and that's what you're going to give thanks for. Martin Luther once said this. He said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. What truth that is. So before we can practice true generosity, we need to remember all that God has and all, all that God does to provide for us. 
But notice this. You know, I know all of us have worried, and some of us are better at it than others. But listen, worry can be an opportunity for you. All right? Even though it's sinful, and even though it questions the, the, the provision and power of God, God always uses things for our good. And so even our worry can be an opportunity because it helps us to see what things that tend to get our attention more than God. You ever thought about it that way? What is it that you tend to worry about? Well, it's those things that are probably getting more attention in your life than God is getting. So use that in your life as a means of God's grace to even show you where you're depending on things and other stuff more than you are Him. So God's providential care is a promise. Number two, God's kingdom must be our priority. These are very simple, straightforward points right from the text this morning. God's kingdom must be our priority. You see that in verses 31 through 34. In verse 31, Jesus instructs his disciples to spend their time being concerned about the kingdom of God instead of being concerned about their daily needs, which God has said he will provide. Not only does materialism and accumulated wealth bring with it anxiety, it also leads you to miss the purpose for which you and I have been created. Jesus is basically pointing out here in this passage that there are really two kingdoms at play. The kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. There, there, there is no other kingdom worth spending your life for than the kingdom of God. There's nothing on this earth, there's nothing in life that is worth living for other, that, that even comes close to comparing what you have with the provision that God has given you in Christ in his kingdom. And yet the battle we will always be faced with, whether or not we will be devoted to the little tiny kingdom of, is, is whether or not we'll be devoted to the little tiny kingdom of self or the glorious kingdom of God. Great Anglican J.C. Rawl put it this way, when, we, when, when can we be said to seek the kingdom of God? He asked that question. When can we be said to seek the kingdom of God? We do so when we make it the chief business chief business of our lives to secure a place among the number of, of the saved, to have our sins pardoned, our hearts renewed, and ourselves made fit for the inheritance of the saints in light. When we do so, when we give a primary place in our minds to the interest of God's kingdom, when we labor to increase the number of God's subjects, and when we strive to maintain God's cause and advance God's glory in the world. And it means that we look at the world through the lens of the kingdom of God. We need help to do that because we're not naturally going to do that, are we? We need God's grace. We need the working of God's Spirit in our lives to help us see through kingdom eyes because you're not naturally on your own going to be able to see like that. It means how we look at the world must be driven by the kingdom of God. We need to remember what it is God is building, which, by the way, will serve us all in any and every circumstance that we face. Even this week, as we face all kinds of chaos and pain and turmoil in our country, when we're looking through that, through that circumstance and through these events, through the lens of God's kingdom, it changes perspectives pretty quickly, doesn't it? It, help us, it helps us to, to, to do biblical things, weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and, and come alongside, bear one another's burdens and to pray for people of all kinds of backgrounds. 
And when you look at the world through the lens of the kingdom of God, everything changes. Seeing with kingdom eyes helps us to love one another, helps us to be concerned, not just about issues in our country, but about the, the, the Syrians that are being slaughtered. It helps us to be concerned with, we got a prayer request through our prayer ministry this week from North Korea, the atrocities that are happening there. You're not, you're not naturally going to think about these things. on you're, What you're going to typically think about are things that you have to deal with on a daily basis. That's what's going to draw your attention. That's, what's going to, that's what you're going to commit yourself to, naturally. But supernaturally, by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God, when you have been transformed and been given a new heart and new eyes and a new, new identity, you begin thinking radically different thoughts, don't you? All of these things become burdened to you in, in, a, in, a, in a healthy way so that you are investing in ways that honor, honor, king, honor kingdom work. And so we must strive to maintain God's cause and advance God's glory in this world. That, may, that means his kingdom must be our priority. When we think about that, I mean, it, when you get that, by the grace of God, it, it's a no-brainer. But, I want to give us several reasons why, from this passage, why this must be our pursuit. Not earthly things, but God's kingdom. Why it must be our pursuit. I want to to just unfold four or five reasons why, from the text, why it is that God's kingdom ought to be our priority. One of the gifts of God is when he gives us a command in Scripture, he often gives us reasons why we ought to follow those commands. It's helpful, right? He doesn't just say, go do this. You're like, well, why should I do this? Because I said so. Oftentimes, he gives us good reasons. We could always point back to the gospel as the ultimate reason and the glory of God. But, but even beyond that, I want us to see a few things here. Number, number one is as we pursue the kingdom of God, it assures that we will never lack. Verse 31. Instead, so he's comparing now this command to everything he's previously said. Don't worry I've got you, I've got the ravens, I've got the lilies, I've got you covered because you're much more valuable than they are. Instead, so don't focus there, focus here. Instead, seek the kingdom. Seek his kingdom, and look what he says. And these things that you're prone to worry about will be added to you. As you prioritize the kingdom of God, you need to know that you will not lack what you need, because God is faithful to provide it. Look at verse 32. He says, fear not, little flock. By the way, just the the care and the tenderness that he uses there to, to describe the relationship that the Father has for us. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God delights in providing for you. And he has given you his kingdom. Shows his care. One of, my, one of my favorite psalms is in Psalm chapter 34. Verses um, 8 through 10. I think it really speaks to, complements well what we see here. Psalm 34 verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. 
seeking God, you seeking as you seek God, as you seek his kingdom, you need to understand, friends, we're not going to lack. As you prioritize the kingdom, it's not going to be as if, as if okay, if I'm going to get serious about the kingdom of God, what if I do that and then I lose stuff? Am I going to wonder how am I going to feed my family if I do this? No, God is faithful to provide. It assures us that we will never lack. Number two, another reason is that it redirects us to God's purposes. Verse 32 says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We're reminded here that not only are we to seek the kingdom, in verse 31, we have been given the kingdom, in verse 32. We've been, we have a loving Father who gives us the kingdom. We are loved by our Father, and he has, with delight, given us a standing with him. A community to be part of. And he doesn't do this because he feels sorry for us. Or somehow because he feels a sense of obligation. Rather, he does this because he loves us. It's a delight to him to give us the kingdom. It's like a parent's delight to bring their child in and and give them a gift. We find joy in that. God finds joy in giving us his kingdom. And this verse is here as a means to comfort and encourage you, and it ought to, to change our covetous mindsets. I like what C.S. Lewis once said. He said that our problem, our problem is not that we want too much, it's that we are satisfied with too little. You get that? Our problem is not that we want too much, it's that we're satisfied with too little. And that too little is the accumulation of too much, not to confuse you, right? not that we want too much, it's that we're satisfied with too little. You know, we think that we must have, we must have a larger salary, a larger car, a larger this, a larger that, and yet God has said, I've given you, I've given you the kingdom. We, we think we have to have the latest gadget in technology, and yet God has said, I've given you the kingdom. Sometimes people think, well, I just need a better spouse. This one isn't cutting it. When God has given you the kingdom... You see what Jesus is saying? Friends, don't settle for anything less than the kingdom of God. And when you understand what you've been given in the kingdom of God, then your perspective about all these other things is going to radically change. Your relationship with your spouse is going to be a kingdom relationship because you understand God's design in that. Your relationship to your things is going to be right at that point because you understand these are merely things and you can take them or leave them. Understand that God sometimes does provide us jobs with larger salaries, and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he moves us, and sometimes he doesn't. Because we need to understand that the kingdom of God is, ought to be our foremost pursuit, and everything else will be, will be rightly placed in his proper perspective. Number three, it motivates us. When we seek the kingdom of God, it motivates us to compassionate giving. Here's the generosity part. I spent a lot of time getting here. But I did that for a reason. We need to understand the foundation and the motives. Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And notice the flow of the text. When we realize that the kingdom of God is our foremost pursuit and that our heavenly father cares for the needs of his little flock then friends it is no issue 
It is no issue for us to extend generosity to others. Just as our Father cares for our needs, we are called to care for the needs of others. Do you realize that part of the way that oftentimes God is providing for the need of someone else is through you? It's through you. You need to ask important questions. Lord, I've been given this resource. I've been given these resources. Is this for me to store my storehouses and barns, to build bigger and better and to have more? Or is this a means that you've given me to serve my neighbor? Be generous, to invest in their life. I think it's an important question for everyone, but especially for those of us who live in a very plush part of this country. We need to ask those kinds of questions. We need to consider our motive. We need to consider where it is that we are prioritizing Just as our Father cares for our needs, we are called to care for the needs of others. Darrell Box said this, he said he longs, Jesus longs for disciples whose identity is so secure in God that they they graciously and generously pursue kingdom values, honoring him by living with integrity and serving others around them regardless, regardless of the cost. Generosity can be costly. Generosity is a costly endeavor. It may not cost you necessarily from your checkbook, as we've talked about. It may. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you friendships. It may cost you a reputation. One way that we could summarize Jesus' teaching here is that if you are overly preoccupied with things you don't have, things that you don't have, then friends, you then need to remember God's promise to you. Prioritize his kingdom and give to others what you already have. God has blessed us with everything that we need, everything that we need for life and godliness, Peter tells us. And for most of us, if not all of us, we have way more than we need. And God has done that. Not so we can build storehouses and barns filled with things, but so that we can be a blessing to others. Plus, it reminds us, it reminds us of the joy that's, that's ours, the joy and satisfaction that's ours, not, not, from, not that come from things, but from, from the Lord as we give, as we're generous. You and I have been blessed with things that we have, yes, for our enjoyment. There are things that we have that God has given us for our own enjoyment and pleasure, and we should be thankful to him for that. But he's also given us things to enjoy in the enjoyment as we share and give to others. We're going to talk about more of the checkbook next week. And and let me just say this, as a congregation, corporately speaking, we have been very blessed. You have been very generous in your giving here. We've been very blessed. And so even corporate, we need to be asking important questions. Okay, how are we going to be generous with that? What are we going to do to invest in the kingdom of God? We've been motivated to compassionate giving as a result of prioritizing the kingdom. Number four, it reminds us that we are to live for eternity. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There will your heart be also. 
He says there in verse 33, at the second part of verse 33, that we're to provide ourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail. He's using some, some imagery here, using the, 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 the picture of money bags, or you could just say bank accounts, salaries. His point is simply this, that we are to invest in eternity, not, not in the temporary. Invest in eternity, not in the earthly. This is what we're called to, to be as stewards of God's generosity. We've been talking about this all along. God's been so generous to us, then we are to in turn be generous to others. And so what are you investing in? Are you investing in the earthly or are you investing in the eternal? Jesus says it's going to be clear for where your treasure is, where you're, di- where you're directing your resources, that's where your heart is. That's, where you, that's what you love. That's what you prioritize. What are you living for? The great Puritans once said, there is no sure evidence of an unconverted state than to have the things of this world as our utmost aim in our love and in our estimation. What you do with your possessions and with your resources is a clear indicator of your heart. Are you investing in eternal things or are you simply just investing in the earthly? What is it that you're living for? Generosity or the lack of generosity is not just simply something that we do or don't do with our hands. Generosity or the lack of generosity is ultimately a reflection of our hearts. You know, as we think about these words from Jesus, there's only one thing that can lead us to live lives that rest in God's provision and prioritize God's kingdom. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't just decide to do this unless you've been transformed by the power of the gospel. So if you're here today, you're not a Christian maybe, you're here today and you're like, I hear you, it's just not, not clicking with me. What's well, because you need a heart change. And only Christ can provide that heart change. So friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, the the hope that we find, even in a passage like this that it would remind us of, is that, listen, if we're going to be such people, then we need to be converted people. We need to be transformed people. And the way that that has happened is that God, in his amazing generosity and love, has sent his own son into this world for the sake of sinners. Jesus lived a life of perfection, and yet he died a death that sinners deserve to die in our place, taking upon himself our guilt, our shame, and our curse so that our sins could be forgiven. And so the, the hope of the Scriptures tell us that if we would look to him and trust in him, embrace him in faith, that our sins would be forgiven, that we would be transformed, that we would be adopted into his, his kingdom. And then your life we change it. The gospel is not just about getting to heaven, although it gets you there. It's about transforming everything about you, even your priorities. It's about about total transformation, friends. If you don't know Jesus, if you have not encountered him in this saving way, then friend, what are you waiting for? Trust in him. Have your sins forgiven and have his kingdom as your priority. There is no greater joy in the world. And you can't do that apart from the gospel. Living generously is a gospel issue. 
It's a gospel issue because it shows the true condition of our hearts before God. How does one become satisfied with God's daily care and devote themselves entirely for the cause of his kingdom? And it's only those who simply realize that God has given them everything that they ever need, even when they didn't deserve it. God's gracious generosity leads us to being generous ourselves for his glory and for the good of others. Let's pray. Father, we do acknowledge that oftentimes we struggle with our heart's allegiance. Father, our fear, our anxiety, our worry are indicators of what we're trusting in. And that could be an unlimited amount of things. So Lord, would you just use this text in our lives today to to press in on us. Lord, that you would use this in our lives to press in on our hearts, that we would see what it is that we truly hope in and trust in. And Father, if that is not you and your kingdom, you would help us to repent. You would help us to turn from that and to turn to you. Father, you know you know the true condition of our hearts. This is not a mystery to you. And so, Lord, as we think about what it is that we prioritize, what it is that we seek, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be in alignment with your heart, with your priority, that you would forgive us where we have not. Father, my prayer today is that we would be a generous people, but, Lord, understanding that until we realize your care for us, your promises to us, your kingdom. Lord, that we will not live in a way that you've called us. So Lord, we ask that you would transform us, that you give us new hearts if we need new hearts, and that Lord, if we are struggling in selfishness and greed and pride and covetousness, Lord, that you would convict us of those things. Lord, help us not to cling to our things, but to cling to you as our greatest hope and as our greatest treasure, Lord, because there is nothing greater. So, Father, you deserve all the honor and the glory, and you deserve the allegiance of our hearts because you are the true and eternal God. Thank you, Father, for loving us in spite of who we are, for giving yourself for us, that we may know you and that we may be able to live out our lives together in your kingdom for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.